Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Paul Sweeney. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. I'm going to sell. Can I sell a newsletter? Sure. Yardeni Quick Takes, folks. And we protect the copyright religiously of our guests. That's, that's rule number one at Bloomberg Surveillance. Yardeni Quick Takes, it comes in your feed, <laughs> and it's blindingly C.J. Lawrence short and to the point. And whether you agree or disagree with Dr. Yardeni, it frames and assists you in your equity belief. Why don't you bring in Paul, the guy who tells me <laughs> I'm living the roaring 20s. Exactly right. Ed Yardeni, he is the president and founder of Yardeni Research. Uh, Ed, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here. I think a lot of Thank people you. are looking at the economic data we've been getting um, over the last several weeks, looking at the earnings we're now parsing mm-hmm. through here over the last couple of weeks and trying to get a sense of where we go uh, with this market here. How are you framing all that data? How are you putting it in your model and coming out with kind of a view here? Well, it's been a go-go market. I mean, it just keeps going. Uh, certainly hasn't uh, paused uh, this, this year. It's been straight up actually since uh, October of last yeah. year. We had a bit of a correction from August to October last year, uh, but it's also been more or less straight up with a brief 10% correction since October of 2022. So it's been a phenomenal bull market. And Tom, for those our viewers on YouTube, that is a bookshelf. I have like three books on my book. <laughs> Dr. Ardenny has a bookshelf. That's every book. That, that's Excuse me, the blue button. The blue button is the Detroit Lions button. Thank you. Ardenny's <laughs> got up there every book Robert Schiller's ever written. Exactly. That's what it is. So Ed, I mean, one of the things that I think concerns that you know some people have now is just, boy, is, have we gone a little bit too far, too fast over the last three to four months because yeah. we haven't seen earnings necessarily follow the performance of right. some of these risk assets. Well, we've seen earnings uh, turning out to be surprisingly good for the mega cap eight. Uh, those stocks have done quite well. And uh, we've seen, as a result of that, we've seen uh, these stocks do very, very well. Uh, but overall, the economy is uh, doing very well. And earnings, uh, I think, are going to be something like $250 per share for the S&P 500 uh, this year, and that would be up from 220 last year. And then yeah. beyond that, I think um, we'll see earnings continue to grow into 20, 
25 and 2026. I don't see a recession. I think it keeps going. Ed Giardini with us here for the entire half hour. We're going to take a break in the middle of it to uh, pay for Lisa uh, Mateo's (laughs) Super Bowl uh, gluten-free veggie chips. But uh, other than that, Ed Giardini with us for this half hour. Ed, I want to frame out the shock 60 days ago where you said we're going to 5,400 SPX. I did the fancy math and got the Dow Jones Industrial Average out to 43,000 on that number. Do you get any sense that there's Schillerian exuberance out there? (laughs) Are we getting a Robert Schiller, Alan Greenspan, irrational exuberance? I don't feel it. I I think we've got exuberance for sure. Uh, And and then it's debatable whether it's irrational yet. Right now it looks like (laughs) rational exuberance. Uh, we still have a lot of money just parked on the side, uh, earning uh, money market uh, funds. We got something like six trillion dollars just in money market funds. So money isn't exactly pouring out of short-term uh, assets. Yes, I don't see it. The market. Well, um, just quick, quickly here: is it going to go? Is are, is the money market fund going to support the Yardeni 5400 SPX? Well, 5400, it doesn't look so uh, amazing anymore. Yeah, uh, that's why I'm talking about 6,000 by the end of next year. There uh, we 5400, go. 5,400 isn't as impressive as 6,000 by the end of next year, given For, yeah. how much territory we've covered. Edger Denny with us. I can't say enough about his research. It comes in different platforms. Yardeni Quick Takes is worth its weight in gold. It's short, 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 focused, and it synthesizes in his Yale economics, all of his work on Wall Street over the decades, uh, into a call on optimism in the uh, American economic experiment. To wit, and I go back to what I call the Yardeni Ancomporolo, Two giants, Ed Yardeni and the technical analyst Ralph Ancompora, lonely in October of 2022. And to get up to the Dow equivalent 46,000, which is Ed Yardeni's SPX 6,000, is a lift of 61%. Dr. Yardeni, is that a normal lift out of an angst time when everybody's gloomy? Is up 60% normal? Well, it, it, it doesn't come with a money-back guarantee. I mean, we, we always have risk in our forecasts, and we have to acknowledge that uh, there are risks. There are geopolitical risks. There's always the risk that uh, the price of oil spikes up again. But uh, my base case is uh, what I call a roaring 2020s. It does rhyme with the roaring 1920s. And in this case, I think the technology innovations that are out there to uh, boost productivity are already working. Uh, there's a... It, significant shortage of labor in our country, skilled labor, and technology is going to solve that problem. On productivity, and again, the Mobison Callahan Morgan Stanley essay is brilliant. It's February, and it's already my essay of the year. (laughs) What's that about? Maybe subject to change. But on productivity at Giardini, it's about corporations adapting. Right. There's layoffs. There's right-sizing and that. It's not about cost-cutting. What's it about? A new efficiency? I think it's exactly about a new efficiency. It's technology-led. It doesn't mean that people are going to lose their jobs. I mean, there is always churn in our labor market. We are seeing in some of these technology companies cutting back in areas where they just don't see much upside anymore. Uh, but uh, I think uh, most of those people are going to find jobs very, very quickly. They're very skilled, and there is a real shortage of skilled workers. I think what technology does is uh, it augments the uh, the productivity of workers, and therefore allows for the economy to grow more quickly. The, the labor force has only been growing around 
1% or less uh, over the past few years. And that's all we have to look forward to with real GDP if there's no productivity growth. Uh, but companies and uh, businesses and entrepreneurs are aspirational and they are going to use technology to increase productivity. And it's already happening. Yep. We had an amazing uh, three quarters last year. Last three quarters, productivity was extremely strong. Yeah. And for the year as a whole, it was 2.7%. And Paul, the world was coming to an end. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> that was amazing how productive folks were, even from the comforts of their own home. So, Ed, one of the big drivers or one of the big investment themes in 2023, which looks like it's continuing into 2024, is this whole concept of artificial intelligence, AI. It's not just the Magnificent Seven. It seems yeah. like every company in the S&P 500 mentions AI multiple times during their quarterly right. earnings calls. What do you make of this? You've seen technologies come and go. You've seen waves come and go. Yeah. What do you think of this AI thing? Well, I should really be embracing it as a confirmation of my roaring 2020s uh, <laughs> uh, outlook. But uh, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm agnostic on it. I, I want to see more evidence that it actually is making a huge difference. I'm still trying to have a conversation with uh, Siri. And Siri, you can only <laughs> ask her one question at a time. You can't ask her to book you uh, theater tickets or order uh, dinner for you. So I'm wondering if, uh, if, if Apple and Google couldn't get their personal <laughs> assistance to really be interactive, I, I'm kind of wondering whether a lot of this uh, may, may be artificial, but not really intelligent just quite yet. Look, it, it is a statistical model. It, uh, it's kind of like when you sit down to, to write uh, on Word and the thing anticipates, uh, if you right. write P-R-O-D, it says, oh, you want productivity. And then you say yeah. yes. Uh, I will get it, Paul, out on LinkedIn and Twitter. It is a spectacular Bloomberg Business Week effort uh, by Ashley Vance on artificial intelligence, and they have taken scrolls in the old world. They're all clay. They're mm -hmm. like firewood logs. And they're using computers to read the scrolls, which they believe have never before seen classics, like from Aristotle. Really? Like right. from Plato. That sounds like a big Like big from Yardeni. I mean, it's <laughs> exactly. a big story. We hope to have Mr. Vance on next week if his people will agree with our people. Continue. Hey, Ed, you know, one of the things we've, I think a lot of investors have become, I guess, used to or expect, and they, they expect the tech sector to drive this market, to pull this market higher. Right. Is that still the case here? It seems like it with these Magnificent Seven. And if so, is that, a, is that okay for this market? Well, there's this perception that it's not a legitimate bull market because it's been very concentrated. It's been led by only seven or eight stocks, whether, you know, I, I like to talk about the me mega cap eight because I watch a lot of Netflix. So I throw that <laughs> in there with the Magnificent Seven. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think technology continues to, uh, to, to lead the way. Semiconductors have been... Uh, on fire, and I think they continue to do ex extremely well. But as you sort of mentioned, every company is mentioning AI these days. I think every company is a technology company. You either make it or you use it. If you don't use it, you lose it. You go out of business. You have to use technology. What's really an amazing about technology today is it really focuses on augmenting the brain. It used to be all of productivity used to be all about uh, mm -hmm. augmenting the brawn of, of humans. Now we're talking about the brain of humans and uh, we've, uh, right. the potential of that is awesome. How did bull markets end? Badly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, there is a potential here for something as we, as you mentioned before, of the 19, uh, 1990s. Uh, if, if there's a stock today that reminds me of Cisco, it's NVIDIA. NVIDIA made a lot of money on gaming chips, then it became uh, 
Bitcoin mining, and now it's it's AI, and these are all legitimate sources of income. The stock has been on fire for good reasons. Earnings have been very strong, uh, but uh, Cisco uh, went uh, to the moon uh, and then back, uh, even though it made a lot of equipment for the internet, and the internet certainly survived right. and thrived. And I think AI will survive and thrive, but I think it. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit more hype than is than, than uh, is justified for what it can deliver just yet. Paul, what do you make of that? I mean, well, here's I, what I, I love the Cisco warning. But here's another alum from C.J. Lawrence. I mean, oh, yeah. it, pound for pound, if people don't know, go back and Google that. Pound for pound, that was some of the best research coming out of Wall Street for a long period of time. And, and C.J. Lawrence back in the it day. It was printed back in the day. Back in the day, folks, there weren't PDFs, and it was tactile, and it was visceral. It was paper, and you had a pencil. And I'm sorry, Paul, I thought that oftentimes I think that's way more valuable. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jurian Timmer joins us in the studio today. What do the charts say about the Magnificent Seven? Will Danoff has 12, 13% of his portfolio in Meta Facebook. What do your charts say to Contrafund? Uh, good morning. And, and by the way, <clears throat> the chart room really used to be like a war room back in the day. Uh, preceding even Ned Johnson, but mm. his father, Mr. Johnson. Um, and that's where they would just, you know, strategize because <clears throat> that was pre-computer screens. Yeah. And yep. they would sit in that room and just, yeah. you know, try to solve the world's problems. So, <laughs> well, they're doing that at the Yeckles building now, and you see how that's going. Yes. What do you say to Will Danoff about the Magnificent Seven from your technical perspective? So, so our, our analysts, you know, they and portfolio managers, they look for the winners over the long term, right, the next five, 10 years. Um, the way I look at it, and I've studied this uh, extensively, I, you know, I've looked at the, the Nifty 50 phenomenon, which started back in the early 70s. Uh, so back then, you know, if you may remember, I, was, I wasn't quite around there then yet, but, you know, after the 68 
speculative glamour stock bubble. The market, you know, fell 36%. It wiped out retail, and the, the market was in the, in the hands of institutional investors, and everyone got so burned by the glamour stocks, they just wanted to buy tried and true earnings growers, you know, IBM, mm -hmm. Xerox, you know, et cetera, Colgate. Um, and those stocks delivered, but they ended up trading at uh, really an extreme. Like they ended up trading at twice the market's valuation. So there was a, a 2x premium. Uh, and then, <clears throat> you know, inflation happened. It wiped out valuations everywhere. Um, and they went from 20x to 7x by the late 70s. And then in the late 90s, we had the same thing. Different companies, yep. of course, different players, but that was the dot-com bubble. Again, a 2x valuation premium. The market stayed at 20x, and those nifty-fifty went from 20 to 40x. That bubble imploded on itself. Now we have, again, dominance by, you know, MAG7, nifty. I, I tend to kind of still look at it as nifty-fifty, even though there are fewer sure. than 50, but just to be consistent, the premium on the valuation size only about 30%. It's not the 100% that it mm. was the black last two times. So these stocks have now dominated for almost a decade, but it's been mostly justified by earnings. That's, and it, and I, that's a different take on it. So, I mean, the way I kind of phrase it is just tech has led this market for such a long time. And I kind of feel conditioned that if tech's not going to lead this market, I, this market's not going higher. I'm not sure if that's the case, but do you still feel like tech and some of these things have to work for this market to work? Um, I, I, so it's, it's a it's a nuance of overall participation in the market versus who is outperforming, right? So last year we had the record narrowest market. Only 26% of the stocks in the S&P outperformed the S&P. So that's the lowest we've ever seen, but and on par with early 70s, late 90s. Uh, so the market does eventually broaden. I mean, that's just the mean reversion nature of the market. And I am in the, the bullish broadening camp for this year. I mean, when you look at obviously S&P 5, Cap weighted is making new highs. It's at five thousand. But I look at SPW, S and P five hundred equal yes, weighted yep. index. To me, that's the that's the most important chart, and that's been sitting below its all time highs now for like hundred and seven weeks. Wow. But it's like two percent below, yep. right? It's it's on the cusp, and I do think that history will tell you, right? Market goes up. 70% of the time by about 10, 11%, it's the market's inherent nature mm -hmm. to go up. So, um, you know, you want to be a bear at like with some caution because you're really fighting yep. the odds. So to me, it, it's a question of the generals are leading the soldiers. Uh, obviously, the market made a new all-time high in January. January is an up month. So these things are momentum builders. So in my sense, the SPW will follow suit. The market will broaden. But that doesn't mean that other stuff will outperform the mega cap growers, right? right? That doesn't mean the banks are gonna outperform. So I don't have a good handle on who's outperforming, but I do have a sense that the market's gonna broaden out. And for an investor who might've missed out the rally last year, that's kind of a second chance to still participate. Mm -hmm. You guys did sector funds. It was like revolutionary. Select funds, yes. Select, yes. excuse yes. me, select funds. It was revolutionary. Yep. People thought you were nuts. Oh, this can't do this. It breaks prudent man rule. People over to Putnam, their heads are spinning. They can't do that. And now it's one big sector ETF. You're in Timmer on how we're handling passive and active ETFs. Forget about Bitcoin and, and all that. Just for mere mortals like me, we've become one big select fund, haven't we? 
Um, it it depends. I mean, there there is a fun for for everyone, <laughs> right? I mean, there's many of them, and and you know now now even in, in digital assets there are options, and I'm very proud of our our team and how well we've done in terms of launching. You think BitDog's a legit asset? <laughs> but um, you know, but it's it's a question of portfolio allocation and uh, having blunt. Uh, instruments versus you know surgical tools and it's good to have the options and they're not for everyone I mean for for many investors it's fine just to buy some S&P or some yep. MSCI IFA or world XUS um, but others want to get more specific and so we can go value growth small large US non US developed emerging um, <coughs> and there are areas where you want to be nuanced like in emerging markets you know they're not all right. created equally and so you want to be discerning there what What's the biggest mistake, 30 seconds, what's the biggest mistake people make in technical analysis? Um, they don't backtest the indicators Thank and, you. and they yes. lose the context yes. because without context, they're all a coin toss. And so you need to have a, con you need to have a thesis saying, okay, this is a consolidation and an uptrend. If you don't make that assumption, you can never get around assumptions in our world, yeah. uh, even <laughs> though they make asses out of you and me. But, uh, but you need to have some context around the indicators, otherwise right. it's noise. Could you see Belichick running money at Fidelity? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't get a job coaching football. Oh, no, you can just, but you can get an office Over downtown. The, the Belichick fund? Sure. At Fidelity, it yeah. works. Yuri and Timmer from Boston, thank you so much. Uh, Another just I can't say enough all over the place. about his technical work. Look out on LinkedIn. It is the best technical work on LinkedIn. Yuri and Timmer, T-I-M-M-E-R. Can't say enough about it. There's something here we haven't done recently. It's just been off the news radar. And that's a shock when you see what's going on in the Eastern Mediterranean, as President Biden mentioned as he walked back to the podium yesterday after the end of the uh, press conference. There's some geopolitical risks out there. And it gets you, as, as Lisa was mentioning, the oil prices elevated, NYMEX 76 a barrel, bread crude $82 a barrel. Exquisite on this is Emrita Sen. We're thrilled that she joins us uh, right now. Amrita, you're just wonderful on the supply and demand dynamics. Which is most interesting right now? I'd say supply um, for two reasons. We've all or we've had supply surprise to the upside last year, uh, particularly U.S. supplies, um, and that's what caused uh, the correction in prices. Now, what we're seeing is actually the market having tightened up more than people had expected. Uh, we've had inventory draws, unexpected inventory draws in January, uh, probably right. looking like small draws in Feb as well. Uh, not that the Red Sea has caused supply outages, but it is creating a lot of Right. stresses and strains on the supply chain. From where you sit, I understand it's a global basis, but as a liter of petrol or a gallon of gas, is it going to be elevated over 2024? Yes, it will be much more than crude will be. It will very much be petrol prices and gas gas prices uh, because of what we're seeing in the Red Sea. Uh, shipping costs are very, very elevated. And what happens is therefore delivery of all these products that we consume is just going to get more expensive. Uh, and therefore, we're going to have to pay more at the pump. So what's the outlook here? Uh Dr. Sen, on demand here, I know, you know, when I talk to energy folks like you, I know you have to have a clear view of not only supply, but but demand. I mean, I look at the European economy is a little bit weaker than people would expect, China weaker than people would like to see. So what's the demand outlook? I would say demand is okay. 
it's not like, you know, last year we had 2.2 million barrels per day of demand growth in part because it was a post-COVID recovery in China. This year we're calling for 1.4, but we have raised it. It has been coming in stronger than expected, particularly in the U.S. Um, Europe, um, it's, if anything, it is bottoming out. China is the worry, right? And Chinese demand hasn't been great. The property market isn't great. Uh, but again, we are not expecting much out of China. We're expecting about half a million barrels per day of growth out of China. Um, so it's in our numbers, but that would be very much the worry right now. And on the supply side, the U.S., I mean, you know, we're obviously we're not used to being net exporters of oil here in the U.S. And I don't see any you know, signs that some of these producers are pulling down production. How do you view the U.S. as a supplier? Oh, the U.S. is continuing to grow. And yes, we had a bit of a setback because of uh, the freeze-offs. But the reality is, is that we uh, continue to ex or we expect to see continued growth out of the U.S., even if it is kind of gradual uh, increases this year. Growth rates should be a lot slower than last year. Last year, it was also boosted by M&A activity. Um, so we're expecting about 500,000 barrels per day of year-on-year -year growth in crude production this year out of the U.S. versus close to a million last year. Uh, but still, definitely growth. So a term that we used to talk about a lot when talking global energy was peak oil. I don't hear that very much anymore. Um, how do you think about that big, big theme there? Uh, depends on whether it's peak oil supply or peak oil demand. I think people now talk about peak oil demand a lot more, which is also yep. not true. Um, I, look, I've never believed in peak oil in the sense that we always have enough reserves. It's, all, it's always about the price. At what price do we exploit those reserves, right? We're not going to run out of oil. It's, but if it's at $50, oil, $50, you're not going to exploit that. It's more that exploration is getting more expensive. That's the point. Uh, demand equally. The IEA keeps talking about peak oil demand, but that hasn't right. been the case. And if anything, demand keeps coming in higher and higher. Yep. Well, demand comes in higher and higher, but the great theme for those over $100 a barrel two years ago was a Pacific Rim lift. They're just basically developing economies. They, you know, I guess they care about climate change, but they're saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. And you get an EM demand. Is that still there? Oh, EM demand is still very much there. I just got back from India today and I was there for India Energy Week and it was absolutely massive. Like Indian demand, you know, India is very much on the path that China has been in the past uh, couple of decades ago, Southeast Asia. Yeah. And then there's Latin America, Africa. Yeah, absolutely. EM demand is very much there. But equally, OECD demand isn't really falling either. So how's the, how's the energy going to be there? The energy usage in those developing markets? Is it how much of it is going to be? fossil fuels versus maybe greener energy as those markets develop they they of course want to not create pollution if they if they can but for them energy security and energy affordability uh, ranks above anything else um, india is really pushing hard for evs yeah, yeah. but not because they want to get a, away from petroleum it's because coal is their cheapest and most secure form of energy evs there will be fired by coal i don't think it's going to actually reduce emissions um, so i think mm. we need to be very pragmatic when we talk about energy transition i continue to believe it's a very privileged western concept when you don't have basic electricity Electricity, you are not actually going to care about whether the uh, whether the electricity is going to be green or not. Uh, Emery Desen, thank you so much. Greatly, greatly appreciate it with the energy aspects. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. 
Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's front page. Put the terror chips down. Give us the headlines. What do you got? <laughs> All right. Since we're talking food, we might as well go there. We're talking about the Super Bowl, how much people are spending at home. This is from the National Retail Federation. Okay. Americans plan to spend $17.3 billion on the Super Bowl. Nice. That is up $1 billion <laughs> from last year. Okay. 80% of that, food and drink. There's also apparel, Rings. decorations, things like that. But why is it so much higher? Here's the thing. You have this new demo coming and you have the Taylor Swift crowd coming uh-huh. in. So now they want to have their own parties. They're pumping up spending as well. And it's changing what people are eating too for the Super Bowl. So usually it's burgers, barbecue, like that kind of thing. Yep. Now the top three items, wings, which is still up there, pizza, salsa dips, and spreads. Because okay. apparently women like that better. Okay. They think it's a staple. You got to always have chips and salsa. There's a swift angle to everything. There's a swift angle. Yes, a new demo. Okay. So the younger ones are having their own parties. Boost and spending. Is she like in the locker room? <laughs> I mean, she's like up, up in the cheap seats, right? Yeah. I mean, and she's jetting, if she in gets from, there. jetting in from yeah. Tokyo. Next. All right, here we go. Uh, World Cup finals, because Paul, you mentioned yes. this yesterday. This article stood out oh, to me. Oh, this is English football. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You like this. It's coming to MetLife, as we know, but how did the fans get there? So you asked this question yep. yesterday. New York Times has a couple things. They have about two and a half years to figure this out. But it was home to the Super Bowl in 2014. If you remember right. that, traffic was a nightmare. It didn't Always work out it. very Always well. It. Yes, it did handle three Taylor Swift concerts, okay. But here's the thing with the Meadowlands. No direct trains, like you mentioned, to New York City from the state to the stadium. The nearest transit hub, Secaucus Junction. Yep. That's a few miles away. And it's been known to sit in traffic. It's a given. You know, when you go on the turnpike, you always gauge around when is the game. Who's playing? Jets, right. Giants, home. So that's the problem. Here's what they do. State legislators, they allocated $35 million. They're going to design a dedicated transit system similar to, like, the Disney World's bus system. Really? And on game days, those buses are going to travel along the back roads. That's currently closed. And it's going to dedicate lanes on the New Jersey Turnpike ah. to these buses, too. So that's right, apparently that's a how they're plan, But here's it. my plan. For our worldwide yes. audience listening, this is from a native New Jersey who goes to MetLife Stadium for yes. Jets and Giants games. Just take New Jersey Transit. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> you it's go. the best way to go. It's yeah. It's 10 minutes from Manhattan to Secaucus. Yeah. Yeah. You switch to Secaucus, and the train is five minutes to um, MetLife Stadium. 
Yes, you have to is wait that, coming and, back a little bit, but you've already had a couple and, of beers. Am I fun. right? When, when is the World Cup? Like, is it it's not like this two summer? and a half years? Yeah. Two and a half years away. Yeah. Pharaoh says this is like a ginormous thing. He says America's not ready for this. It's People coming from everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. 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 Everywhere. He, and it's like all, I don't know, it's all over the country. And I, I don't know if they know I mean, that John it's in the middle of the I mean, John talks about this all the time. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're having breakfast or something. You know, we're over to St. Regis putting down a good morning, Red Oak Keeper of the Amex. And, you know, I'm putting it down with John. We're just building up a $200 tab. I don't even listen to the football talk. No. I mean, you know, I mean, but the World Cup's going to be ginormous. Yeah. What else? This is great. What else do you have? To okay, say? Tom, you asked this question yesterday, so I found this out. Why PayPal is struggling? I don't get it. Our firm's okay. out today as well. Yeah, so the Financial Times did a, did a look into this. Apparently, there's a Gen Z problem, okay? The younger generation, they like to pay with the click and their phone. You know, they just collect a click and tap, and that's what they like. So they like Apple Pay. You know, they yep, like those autofill payments. They like buy now, pay later services like Affirm and Afterpay. They like that. Three quarters global iPhone users used Apple Pay in 22. Nearly one third of them were between the ages of 18 to 29. So you see that big group there. 50% of prefer PayPal. Well, they're 45 years and older. So that's a group. And PayPal, I didn't realize, but they do have Venmo. But the problem is that they can't monetize it because you can't charge people to use Venmo because Zelle is for free. <laughs> so, well, there's, it's competitive. Okay. It's, it's and, very and all competitive. That. I mean, Brian Moynihan's been very clear on this at Bank of America in the earnings. The Zell, the Zell growth they feature in their mm -hmm. PowerPoint when yeah. they come out with their earnings. It's great. This whole digital thing, I'm still writing checks at home. I'm the last person. <laughs> really? Yeah, I dipped a quill in. You I know. kind of forgot I got, how to write a check. I got, the, I got the old fart checks for the blind. You know, they're great. <laughs> And you know, you put only, and you know that I, I'm not going to do Venmo to write a tuition check. You know, <laughs> oh, I mean, they make thing. it so easy to pay tuition. Oh, it is, they do uh, now, yes, do they? they? Penn, Penn yes. State University was the absolute best. They were on par with uh, Amazon, literally one click, and then 25 grand whoosh, right out of your account. You know, one yeah. click. Yeah, they yeah. know what they're doing. They, it they, it's it's a whole new world after yep. all. Taylor, go go back and have some vegetable chips. Taylor, Lisa Mateo. <laughs> the Tara ones are good. Lisa oh, Mateo, thank you um, so much. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast, bringing you the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.